Sarah Alexander, Leanne Toe, and Tiffany Zarella are three microbiologists who work at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. For the past few weeks, like a lot of folks, they've been paying close attention to the pandemic news, the White House press briefings, the public officials addressing the public from the podium. And there's one in particular that's really caught their eye. Here's Sarah. So I think Leanne and I would talk about it and we were like, oh, he's so cute. You know, we brought it up to Tiffany expecting her to think it was strange, but she was right there with us. And so I think that we started to get a little bit of a science crush on him, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Their crush is Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. So today on the show, the cult of Dr. Fauci and how the internet helped build it. I'm Ariel Dermros. This is Reset. We started a group chat, and it just kind of started as a joke where we would send each other pictures of Dr. Fauci and sort of try to comfort each other because we were all getting pretty stressed out. I don't know. I just felt like some of the stuff we were sending each other in our group chat was really, really good content, I guess. We were like editing some of his photos and we had, I don't know, we were just admiring him. And I was like, we should put this out there and kind of see. I I felt that other people might feel similarly. In mid-March, the three scientists started a Twitter account, at FauciFan. Almost every tweet is a photo of Dr. Fauci, sometimes overlaid with heart emojis and accompanied by a funny, admiring comment. For instance, like our pinned tweet on our profile right now is just a photo of Dr. Fauci. Uh, It says, if you don't have a crush on this man, do you even care about public health? And that was just like some random thought I had. And I was like, that would be a good tweet. The Twitter account immediately started racking up followers. We would text each other constantly like, oh, my God, we made it to 100, 200, 500. Like we would text each other like so in shock. Oh, yeah, we were shocked. I really didn't expect it to go anywhere. I thought it was going to be just between like the three of us. But uh, yeah, it just happened to end up this way. How many followers are you up to at this point? Right now we have almost 17,000. I mean, the, the speed with which this Twitter account has gained ground, to me, indicates that this there's a much broader fandom surrounding Dr. Fauci than, than just, you know, the science community. I think so, too. I mean, my mom has a crush on him, though she is a nurse, so she's kind of tangentially related to the <laughs> science community. But yeah, she just thinks he's the cutest thing, so. Wait, I'm sorry. I feel like I need to address this. Okay. Sarah, <laughs> you share a crush with your mom right now? Yeah. Dr. Fauci. Is that bringing you closer? Like, is that nice? Oh, yeah. If he's on the screen, she'll scream at me, Sarah, Dr. Fauci's on TV. And she's she followed the Twitter and she likes to look at it. She doesn't really know how Twitter works, so she gets confused <laughs> at some of the posts. But, yeah. My mother, for example, she is a housewife and she's from Vietnam. She doesn't speak that much English, but every time she sees him on TV, she just says she really likes him. She likes his energy. She's like, when Mm. I hear him talk, he brings out simple facts. It's easy to understand. I feel comfortable. And 
I've had people like friends where I've never mentioned this Twitter, but they've mentioned to me. So they found our Twitter organically mm-hmm. and they say, and I say, oh, I run that Twitter. And they're like, really? My dad follows it. And he really enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just to be clear, do you guys think he's hot? Uh, Loki, yeah. I mean, for an older guy, for sure. Am I alone here, guys? Is anyone else going to chime in? <laughs> no, no, I no, agree. Back, back me up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not, he's not bad looking. Well, some of the pictures, it really sh- conveys like his personality. You know, if you've ever seen an interview with him or seen him talk at the podium. You're having the natural course of an outbreak, trying to peak at a high level. He's not like everybody else. He's not this stoic, okay, we're reading off the facts, you know. He really, um, you know, wants people to understand. And I think that that's something that really appealed to me. We also were looking up, like, older pictures of him, and it really shows, like, him throughout the <laughs> He's years. aged well. Yeah. <laughs> we have a post where we said, like, glow up, and we show a picture from when he was first... Um, appointed as director of Nyad. Yeah, of Nyad. And then a more recent photo, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And he looks great. I mean, it's like identical almost. (laughs) We have so many photos of Dr. Fauci saved to our phones, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) Tiffany, Sarah, and Leanne say that Dr. Fauci's appeal isn't just about his looks, though. For me, the Fauci thing and affection I have for him is more like uh, because he's a fellow scientist, and I really appreciate that. And he's from NIH. So um, I think it comes from a special position in my heart uh, for me personally. How about you, Tiffany? Oh, no, I agree. I think it's part of it is that we value science communication. And it's like he really brings that to the table. And that adds so much to our crush, if you will. (laughs) We were discussing the other day, um, you know, about some of the animosity that's been put towards Dr. Fauci. And we were like, he's a he's mm-hmm. a research god. And we were like studying each other, his like Google Scholar <laughs> and like research gate. Mm-hmm. We were like, okay, this is a post. <laughs> we were so. like, do you see how many citations he has? Oh my God. This is the nerdiest crush ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we're very flattered. These three microbiologists on Twitter, they aren't the only ones showing their love for Dr. Fauci on the internet. There's been bakeries all across the country that have been making donuts with Dr. Fauci's face on them. That's McKenna Kelly, policy reporter at The Verge. And you can see them littered all over social media. Like, people are going to these bakeries and posting them everywhere, hashtagging them Fauci, hashtagging all these things. Let's just hope they're social distancing while they're buying all these donuts, right? Right, exactly. And I'm sure that's kind of slowed down as everyone's grown more and more concerned. But there's also another group of people who um, created a Fauci video game that's basically like Space Invaders. And it's like this vaporwave um, image of Dr. Fauci shooting lasers from his eyes at the virus. So it's like pew, 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 coronavirus, die that kind of thing? That's exactly what it is. Amazing. And then, of course, you just get your regular memes um, where people superimpose Fauci's face onto, like, People magazine, calling him the sexiest man alive, doing those kinds of things. And that's that's everywhere on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, every social media platform you could ever want to use. They're there. 
It's funny because it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's going on around New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo. Like, people seem to be a little bit obsessed with him. People are obsessed with him. And I think it's for similar reasons that people are obsessed with Fauci. For New Yorkers, nobody's really liked Cuomo. I mean, ever since I moved here, I've just heard, you know what I mean, things of people complaining about him. But now we're all obsessed with him. Right. Because he's one of the only men in our lives right now. If you live alone or you live with female roommates or, you know what I mean, you're finally seeing this guy every day. And he's become this kind of anti-Trump bad boy figure. So we're seeing this in, like, both um, fandoms all across the Internet. What's the deal with all of this? Why does the Internet like Anthony Fauci so much? So I talked to a number of people. So I talked to the fans themselves. I talked to fandom experts. There is a lot of anxiety around this coronavirus pandemic. And we're all kind of stuck inside. And we're looking for some pragmatic, comfortable, um, consoling figure to kind of tell us what we need to hear, but also tell it to us in a very lovingly way. And the spoke hero expert that I spoke to, Scott T. Allison, he said, he's the grandfather who will tell it to you straight and tell it to you lovingly. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are obsessed with him. Oh, God, I have so many reactions to that. One of them is just like, oh, my God, why is it in times of crisis that our obsession around the patriarchy just seems so much more apparent? Like everybody just needs a coronavirus daddy right now. Right. And it's very clear. And then when you look at the news surrounding um, Dr. Deborah Bergs, like one of the first articles that I saw come up about her was that she's a fashionable, um, she wears wonderful scarves. Um, so right. our, our, you know what I mean? Our attention and our, you know, obsession with the patriarchy and men in power is definitely coming into play here. <laughs> right. What we're talking about are her clothes and, and not her ability to comfort us. Right. To be clear, there are some pretty good reasons to be a fan of Fauci, right? Right. And when I spoke to all these people, he it's not just him um, and what he knows and his knowledge, but it's, he's in total contrast to Trump. Right. Trump is chaotic. He contradicts himself. Fauci's consistent and calm. And hasn't Fauci made a point of being that guy, that super calm guy all over the Internet? I think he's done quirky interviews with a bunch of influencers, right? So he's done a ton of interviews with unconventional media sources. Um, The one that I saw was um, him doing an interview with Philip DeFranco. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for making the time. Um, I'm just going to kind of jump into it. Who is a giant um, YouTuber who does a daily news show. Should we be avoiding food delivery service right now? Obviously, more people are staying home. Even with no contact options, uh, someone made the food, someone packaged it. I did that myself last night. (laughs) So I ordered what I like, went, put my credit card down, wiped it off with the wipe, put it in my pocket and took the bag and went home. It worked perfectly. And he's also been on Jesus and Merrill, right? Uh, you are a Brooklyn boy. Yes. Indeed. indeed. Bensonhurst. Yes. Hey, Shout out Brooklyn to Bensonhurst. Right. That. And he's gone on Instagram. Dr. Fauci. Hey, Steph. With the basketball player, Steph Curry, he's everywhere. And he's getting to people on all their devices and all of their platforms in a really interesting way that you don't normally see scientists doing. So why do you think he's doing that? Well, first, I know that Google and YouTube have been working to get great resources in front of young audiences on YouTube. So I'm sure that they've been working with the government and health organizations to get Fauci on here. And it's working. He's become a meme and he's become um, a lauded figure in politics. You spoke to some of the people running these fan pages. What do you think they're getting from this fandom? 
So, I mean, part of it is comic relief and sharing memes and having a laugh while we're all kind of trying to deal with our own suffering. But in that, there's also a real sense of um, solidarity and connection. At a time when most of us are stuck in our homes and don't have a lot of people near us to um, console each other and really work through this. So they're finding this community online. I mean, you go into the comments on some of these, like, of course, there are the memes of Fauci on People magazine or with his face imposed on Captain America. But you also just see messages like, my anxiety is really getting to me. Will this ever be over? And then you look in the comments Mm. and people are sharing, I don't know, maybe some optimistic news articles or basically just messages being like, you're not alone. And in the time that we find ourselves right now, that is more valuable than anything. (laughs) The positive reviews that Dr. Fauci has received over the last two months, that actually isn't all that new. Dr. Fauci's been around for a minute. So after the break, we take a look at the person behind the meme. This is Reset. This week on The Gray Area, Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. (laughs) That's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with McKenna Kelly, reporter at The Verge. McKenna, when I first started seeing some of this Fauci fandom stuff, my reaction as a science reporter was something along the lines of, took you long enough? Because he's been a pretty big presence in science for a long time, and I'd never call myself a fan, but I appreciate him as a health official. And so I kind of feel like people are late to the party. That's exactly what I've heard from my colleagues as well. Um, When I was first pitching this story in Slack and sending the memes and all these things, um, our deputy editor of The Verge, um, Liz Lopato, was like, you used to just be able to call him on the phone and talk to him, and now he's like such a big star, and the fandom is a little weird to her, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's been around for a while. So let's talk about him for a little bit. What do we know about Anthony Fauci? Where is he from? Right. So if we're going to do Once Upon a Time style, (laughs) he's from Brooklyn. He was born there on Christmas Eve in 1940. Mm -hmm. Both of his parents ran a pharmacy where he helped at the cash register, which sounds very cute. Um, (laughs) He pretty much went into public service immediately after graduating medical school um, and completing his residency. And then he joined the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease in 1968. And that's the agency he still works for today, right? Yeah, he was a researcher there for decades, and then he was ultimately appointed to be the director of it in 1984 under the Reagan administration. So he was hired right at the time of the AIDS crisis. Exactly. It took a long time for the Reagan administration to at first respond to AIDS, Mm -hmm. and Fauci was one of the people who pushed the administration for more funding for AIDS research. Larry Kramer wrote a front page open letter 
to Anthony Fauci, I call you a murderer, to get my attention. And guess what? He succeeded. He got my attention. <laughs> he got my attention. NIH scientists need to work with activists. NIH scientists need to work with activists. There's this anecdote from 1988 around the peak of AIDS activism. Um, AIDS activists were using protests and direct actions to try to get the federal government to respond to the disease that was killing so many people. A bunch of AIDS activists showed up at the National Institutes of Health in Maryland, where Fauci was working, and he invited them into his office to talk. Rather than run away from it the way many scientists did, like keep those activists away from me, I started to listen to what they were saying. And what they were saying was making perfect sense. A critic who once put Tony Fauci's head on a stick now believes he should be in a Hall of Fame. I know for sure that when the history of AIDS is finally written, Anthony Fauci will be remembered as one of its heroes, and deservedly so. And since then, Fauci has been the public face of the government's response to new diseases. He informed the public in 2001 when everyone was worried about bioterrorism and anthrax. He was there during the SARS epidemic in 2003. He was part of the U.S. response to Ebola in 2015. He has been a reliable source of information around disease for a very long time. And if you're a science journalist, you know him for his willingness to speak to the public and to journalists. That, that's something that he prioritizes. Right. I mean, he's always been a good science communicator from what I've read. There's this great interview with him on C-SPAN from like 2015 where he says, You don't want to impress people and razzle-dazzle them with your knowledge. You just want them to understand what you're talking about. When I hear a public health official talk like that, that's exactly the kind of person that I want to hear from in a crisis, because the last thing that I want from a health official is a bunch of big words and a bunch of fancy terms that people won't understand. First of all, that makes for terrible things to quote. But but second, it's also just it's just a huge barrier. And so in my mind, Fauci is a person who wants to, to dismantle those barriers. Right. And you see that just in him doing all this non-traditional media in the first place. He is getting himself at eye level with um, people and being where they are, talking to them how they, you know, how they can understand. I mean, he seems like a pretty humble figure for the most part. We know that the Trump administration is pretty sensitive to how the pandemic is being communicated to the media. So what do we know about how the administration may or may not be controlling Fauci's messaging. Right. So every time Fauci is absent from some press conference, people are asking questions whether or not Trump and Fauci are feuding behind the scenes. Um, and Fauci hasn't really addressed these uh, concerns uh, at face, but he has gone on television and he has told the public that he's not going to be, quote, muzzled. I'm not being muzzled. Everybody who has gets on shows like this, you have a normal clearance. I was cleared here, and here I am talking to you, and I'll give you the whole truth the way I always have. But at a recent press conference, President Trump cut off a question that had been directed at Dr. Fauci about a potential treatment for COVID-19. And would you also weigh in on this issue of hydroxychloroquine? What, what do you think about this, and you what is the, what is the medical evidence? Yeah. Maybe 15, doctor. 15 times. Okay. You don't have to ask He's, he's your medical expert, correct? <laughs> he's answered okay. that question 15 times. Dr. Fauci, 
I imagine that all of this fame for Fauci has a dark side, you know, because the Internet is a pretty hateful cesspool sometimes. So are we seeing that with Fauci? Well, I mean, of course. Um, Whenever you put anyone on a pedestal, you're going to have a lot of people trying to pull them down from, you know, policy wonks in D.C. to notorious right-wing QAnon conspiracy theorists. People are coming out to make criticisms of Fauci and what he's doing. So what are they saying about him? They're saying that he is a member of the deep state, assuming that he is working against the Trump administration. There are a bunch of notorious right-wing conspiracy theorists, primarily those that believe in this QAnon conspiracy um, that are involving him in their weird online lore. And if you bring all this together, we've seen reporting that Fauci has had to beef up his security detail in response to all of these um, threats against him. Okay, but besides the conspiracy theories, what are critics of Fauci saying about him right now? What are the criticisms that sound a little bit less out there? So what we've seen is people who do believe that in some cases he is being muzzled by Trump, that he's working too close to the administration, that he could be doing more and saying more and um, being more of an anti-Trump figure than what he's doing right now. I think at the same time that if you become that kind of, you know, figure so opposed to Trump, Trump might just boot you out. So, I mean, it's not entirely clear what Fauci's future is. He may lead us through the end of this or he may not. Right. And I think that, that the thing that Anthony Fauci has to do right now is walk a tightrope, right? He has to right. find a way to correct misinformation when when the Trump administration does put that out there, um, while also staying in the administration's good graces. And I personally don't really want to think about what would happen if Fauci was fired. You and a bunch of other people all across the Internet. <laughs> McKenna Kelly is a policy reporter at The Verge. So recently on Sundays, we've been playing some clips from listeners telling us about what life has been like during the pandemic. And this week, we've got a few more. Take a listen. Hey, Reset Team, this is Kane. Hi, my name is Beth. Hello, Ariel. This is Alex Pereira from Brazil. I work at major retailer, so I'm still going to work, but I'm also a senior in college, and so my graduation has been postponed. Um, I also uh, was intending on starting a PsyD program uh, in New York in the fall, but now, because of all of this stuff, I'm really anxious about moving across the country, so it's looking like I won't be starting that program in the fall. I'm going to see if I can defer my enrollment to next year. Um, But that's unlikely, so I'm probably going to have to reapply to the program. And so it's really messing up my next, like, step of my my graduate school and all of that stuff. And so that's been the big bummer. But I've been working really hard to, like, finish getting my undergrad done. And um, by working almost full-time right now, that's really helping to get me out of the house and keep me uh, relatively sane, (laughs) which has been uh, really all that I can ask for. When this whole crisis started for us mid-March, it seemed kind of distant and far away, something outside of reality. Then things started getting really serious, really fast. My older brother is having his salary halved, which is lucky, all things considered, since 
several of his colleagues are being downright laid off. Another thing that brings anxiety is seeing those in positions of power bickering and quibbling over petty stuff. Our president here in Brazil is doing a great job at sowing disinformation. He had a couple of tweets deleted recently, and he's making statements like, everybody dies someday, as if the lives lost to COVID-19 were a small price to pay for economic growth. All of this is troublesome, but other than worrying about my mother, she's 70 and lives with my brother, I've been able to weather this storm so far. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you, Reset team. Stay safe and keep rocking. Um, I have two jobs. One is as a lab tech in a biochemistry lab that is now transitioning to, of course, you know, create testing kits and things for COVID-19. And the other one is um, as an administrator at a veterinary hospital. So both of those jobs do not allow me to work from home. Really where technology comes into play for me is connecting with my family and in connecting me to my community. Um, I'm Muslim and I do a lot of work with my local mosque. Um, I'm helping to run a food drive right now. Before all this went down, um, I was one of the leaders of the young professional group there um, of the green team where we focused on sustainability and, you know, we were planning for a really big green Ramadan coming up. Obviously, the mosque is closed. We're not even having daily prayers. So, you know, there's there's going to be nothing to do besides check in with the group members once in a while to make sure that they and their families are okay. You know, nobody needs anything. Do you know anybody who needs food from the food drive? I've sort of said this before, but hearing from Reset listeners, from you guys, has been keeping me and my team going recently. So thanks for taking the time to tell me about your lives. If you want to send me something, email recordings to reset at vox.com. And make sure you tell us your name and where you're located at the top of the recording. That's it for today's show. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Duemros. But you don't have to say it that way. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produced the show. Amy Drovdowska edited this episode. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Our intern is Daniel Marcus. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. And Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And Reset is produced in association with Stitcher. And we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. <laughs>